nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Wetter and Craig Gravel, and we're talk, talking with one of the uh, trans-Tasman uh, uh, journalists who has uh, booked his ticket to uh, be in Australia for quite a while, that being Simon Chapman from Speed Cafe. Welcome, Simon, again. G'day, Tony. How's it going? Absolutely terrific with me. You would have been uh, disappointed, I imagine, because you wanted to uh, get down to Tassie for your first experience at Simmons Plains. Yeah, well, it's an extra week that we have to wait, but, you know, something that we're <laughs> not unfamiliar with after all of the, the COVID chaos that we endured last year. Um, obviously having to wait three months between events at one point, so one week's uh, not a huge wait in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, looking forward to going down to Simmons Plains and seeing what it's all about. You'll actually uh, discover that there are similarities to some of your home country's tracks. It's short. Um, it uh, has a lot of character, as the Teratongas and the Timaroos and the, so many of those wonderful little New Zealand tracks have. Tracks that, you know, have obviously made uh, Grand Prix drivers uh, very capable to go and do what they do, so there's nothing wrong with them. But it's a track that uh, you'll enjoy enormously because it does have that unique character. Yeah, I'm really well, looking it, forward to having a look at it. Did you think that Supercars did the right thing in just postponing because of the Queensland situation, the COVID? Yeah, I, I think they didn't really have much of a choice, to be honest. Um, yeah, there was obviously the threat that uh, the, the pandemic could have potentially gotten a little bit worse in Brisbane and there were some concerns, obviously, that it was going to spread a little bit further down to the Gold Coast. So, you know, it all sort of, much like last year, it all sort of kicked off in the space of an afternoon. We went from having people saying, oh, no, you know, we're, we're pretty sure it's safe at the moment to people sort of getting, you know, the directive to, to maybe look at heading out of the state. So fundamentally what it boils down to is that if Tasmania had decided that, you know, it was going to extend some of its measures that it, it would allow some of those teams to be out of Brisbane and, and Gold Coast and potentially some of those hot spots um, for you know the mandated 14 days. So it's sort of safeguarding more than anything. Um, if the situation got worse, um, you know we've we've seen in the past that some governments have um, introduced rules retrospectively. So it's not impossible that that could happen. But you know today. We've seen that, obviously, um, the, that lockdown in Brisbane has been lifted and obviously New South Wales have also eased some of their restrictions as well. So um, all things are looking positive at the moment uh, for Tasmania. But, yeah, I certainly don't blame supercars for, for making the call um, that early. Unfortunately, really, Simon, supercars didn't have a choice because Tasmania put a 14-day lock almost immediately on Queensland. So they basically had to move it because even if you did escape uh, Queensland before, uh, what was it, Tuesdays, Tuesday nights or Monday nights lockdown, you were 
going to have to quarantine anyway in a hotel in Tasmania for the 14 days. So everyone now has to wait for that 14 days to be lifted. They couldn't just hope, you know, that the government would lift it early or try to have to use up credits, even though it is a Tasmanian-sponsored event, to be able to get into the state early. So it was a force majeure. But the good news is they might not have to stay south of the border, south of the Tweed, to go to the Bend. And they hopefully will be able to go home before they head to Adelaide or Taylor Bend. Yep, that's certainly the case. And you know, there was even some talk uh, once those lockdown restrictions got eased of maybe some of the teams coming back early, but just to be safe, uh, a lot of them are just going to stay out of the state until basically after Tasmania. Now, my understanding is that both uh, DJR and Matt Stone Racing both moved early or immediately to get over the border so they wouldn't be in that, uh, not being able to relieve the state, while Triple Eight already, uh, their drivers and much of their crew was going to be at Bathurst for the uh, Bathurst six hour there already and the GT racing. That's correct. So Triple Eight moved much of its uh, staff out of Queensland early. Um, a lot of that was sort of surrounding mostly the Bathurst six hour just to get them out of the state just in case uh, things could get a little bit hairy. So they sent most of their staff away. That included obviously Shaman Gisberg and who's going to be competing in the Bathurst six hour so that they could make it in time for GT World Challenge. Now, one of the things that they did have to consider was with the New South Wales restrictions, they did have a stay-at-home order because of that lockdown in Brisbane. So whilst they did manage to get across the border into New South Wales, they did have to, basically once they got there, just chill out and do nothing until that lockdown was lifted. So um, all systems go for Bathurst 6-hour, all systems go for Tasmania at this stage. Beyond that, things are looking okay at this point in time, but as we've seen in the past week or so, it can sort of kick off in, in the space of a day. You're not able to crystal ball it. It would seem that, you know, there's a potential for the hubs to be created again, um, whether that be back-to-back race meetings at Taylor Bend or uh, one of those situations. You didn't get caught up in the hub last year, did you? No, fortunately not. I, I guess one of the things with those setups last year was that supercars kept it to a minimum, you know, it, it was basically just um, the teams and, and the drivers and, and various uh, select crew from from Supercar's own organisation as well. You know, you didn't see much in the way of, um, you know, your PRs and, and marketing people um, being part of that hub. Um, some of them did travel with the teams, but very few did. A lot of them ended up working remotely, and it was, it was the same case for us as, as journalists. We were working from home for the, for the best part of, of half a year until basically the very end of the season, which was the Bathurst 1000. So, yeah, who knows? Um, a lot of the a lot of the chat at the moment is sort of, you know, it's, we're trying to just keep things what's immediately in front of us at this point in time, not looking too far ahead. You know, the talk of hubs is sort of, you know, it's there or thereabouts, but it's not seeming like something that we'll, we'll have to do straight away given, you know, those restrictions of ease. But, yeah, like I say, a lot of, a lot can change in a very short space of time. And, and as we proved last year, you, you've got to be thinking on your feet. We should probably reflect, first of all, uh, Sandown and uh, an amazing start to the year with your countryman, uh, Mr Van Gisbergen, uh, doing his very best, flying the flag in lieu of a 
McLaughlin having shot through. It's been an extraordinary year, has it not, uh, for you, uh, Simon, to, to be on the road, uh, so to speak, in the Australian uh, category? Yeah, for sure. You know, this year we're sort of hoping just for a, a little bit of normality. Um, obviously, already uh, the first sort of portion of the season has, has taken a little bit of a hit in so far as, you know, obviously the, the Formula One Grand Prix being postponed and that giving us the opportunity to go back to Sandown, which I think um, a lot of people <laughs> certainly enjoyed uh, that opportunity for us to go back to one of the sport's um, most iconic circuits. Um, yeah, I, I guess we're in a, an interesting position at the moment where we you know, we can't predict what's going to happen over the next few months. We can, we can put some stakes in the ground and, and say, okay, this is that calendar, um, but you have to be flexible. You know, last year, I think we had what felt like the best part of 20 calendar changes by the, by the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of there being more changes, but, you know, for the time being, I guess we've just got to be confident that what we've got is, is relatively safe at this point in time, and, and certainly the governments uh, are being extremely proactive as soon as we're getting even the smallest outbreak. Looking at the performance, um, first of all, obviously, you know, Triple Eight in uh, uh, a double podium for them and, and five... Uh, five wins in a row, um, but, uh, you know, the pecking order um, with the uh, taking out Scott McLaughlin, is this, do you think this is going to be the game plan from here on in? Do you think that this will be the way the season will roll with Triple Eight returning to their very dominant phase before DJR Team Penske grew? Oh, I, I think so. Um, even before the season started, you know, Last year, Shane had a, a really strong into 2020. You know, he, he wasn't necessarily um, at the very front of the Drivers' Championship by the end of it, but, you know, winning the Bathurst 1000 and then going back to New Zealand and, you know, winning in the rally car and winning in uh, New Zealand Grand Prix doing Toyota Racing Series, you know, he, he really established himself as the guy to beat uh, no matter where he went, you know, and, and he's just continued that run of form, which is, you know, it's it's un, it's unprecedented. He's won the first five races of the season, <laughs> three of which were with a broken collarbone. So I think for Triple Eight, it's, it's a, a factor of keeping Shane in front and having, I guess, Jamie just on his coattails. I, I think for a lot of people, it would be really sweet for... Jamie to, to go out in his final season of the Supercars Championship with, you know, another title, um, an eighth title, you know, that would be really fitting in many ways, um, given the name. So, yeah, who knows? Um, Jamie said earlier in the week, um, you know, all, all good things must, must come to an end and you can't be on top of the world forever. Um, it certainly feels like, um, you know, the King's about to, to sort of exit the the throne and the prince is just about to walk on in. So, yeah, I think this is Van Gisbergen's year. And, you know, okay, we're only, you know, two rounds into the championship, but it's certainly his to lose. Um, given that Triple Eight are performing to the level that pre-DJR, Scotty McLaughlin and all those sort of things, um, do you think that there are many who are underperforming currently? I mean, I can think of a couple, but... Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Simon? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily guys are uh, underperforming as such. It's just that Triple Eight are that good at the moment. Um, you know, evidenced by 
the fact that Shane Van Gisbergen came from 17th on the grid to, to win a race uh, in what was a very short race. Uh, and yeah, but again, a broken collarbone. We, we, we can't forget that. Uh, yeah, certainly Triple Eight are just on another level at the moment. You know, Shane and Jamie are, are just streaks ahead. It, it feels like, you know, the next sort of best guy amongst that group is Cameron Waters. Uh, I think if not for that issue at the first round at Bathurst, he'd probably be uh, third in the title race at this point and probably not far away from Jamie, if not just ahead of him. Um, yeah, he Cameron feels like the, the guy is probably maybe second equal with, with Jamie at this point, maybe just a little bit ahead of him. Underperformers, you'd probably say the DJR duo of, of Will Davison and Anton Di Pasquale. You know, Brian's story was adamant leading into this championship that, you know, Scott was their biggest loss, but that they would still be really competitive. And yeah, Will's got one podium to his name this season and Anton, you know, sort of been knocking on the door a little bit, but he's still yet to get that breakthrough with the team as well. And, and amongst all that is that retirement. So yeah, I think DJR are kind of the surprise at, at this point. Uh, I, I think it was the first time since maybe the, the Bend Motorsport Park in 2018 or, or 2019 that DJR had gone without a, a podium in a, in a sprint event. So it's been a long time since we haven't seen, you know, the, the yellow, white and, and red colour scheme on the podium. I feel like it's probably not far away that Will and Anton will be, you know, getting maybe close to a win. I think I think they're certainly capable of it. The team's certainly capable of it. They showed for the past four or five years that they're capable of it. It's just a matter of getting through those first, you know, two or three rounds, just finding their feet, getting used to all the systems and things like that, and then they'll probably hit their stride. So I don't expect DJR to be where they are now by the end of the season. The one team that I felt had certainly stepped up and, you know, use the expression punching above their weight, I don't think so, but is the Erebus pair. Rookies? I don't know the numbers. Um, I haven't uh, gone to look for it. Brody uh, must be up there with the fastest to a podium, you know, in his fifth race of, as a rookie, uh, his 11th ever uh, supercar race in the main series. Both Brody and Will showed something that, well, I didn't expect to be as good as that. But obviously, the conditions, uh, you know, the strength of Erebus at that track. It led to a phenomenal performance by that team. Yeah, Brody was just on another planet at the end of the weekend. You know, he struggled all through practice, all through qualifying, all through you know race one and two of that weekend with with issues with his car, and even at the end of the weekend was still complaining uh, that he had a few technical troubles with that thing. But in, in the wet, just was you know another driver that the car just really hooked up and. Uh, the same same sort of applied for for Will Brown. He really charged through. I think he made up something like 12 places in the last race. So, yeah, those guys came on really strong in, in tricky conditions. Uh, I guess it's whether they can convert that into the dry. We we sort of we saw glimpses of it uh, at the start of the season at, at Bathurst. You know, Will very early in the piece obviously was quite quick um, in practice with the initial pace, um, but unfortunately had that crash uh, in the first practice session and then. Obviously, Brody sort of was carrying uh, the team from then on out and, and had that amazing qualifying where qualified, I think it was sixth, and made it into the top 10 shootout. Obviously, couldn't quite convert that into a top 10 finish. But yeah, the the early signs for Erebus Motorsport are extremely positive, considering where they've come from in the last sort of two or three years. So I'm extremely excited to see 
what they can do. I think Will Brown could probably get a podium at some point this year. I think Brody Kostecki could maybe even get a win. I spoke to him after the Sandown race, and uh, you know, you couldn't help but feel really happy for him. But you know, he was a little bit down in the dumps. Like, man, I, I could have won that race. Was sort of what he was saying. So, I think for him, he's he's determined. He's definitely flying the flag for Erebus at the moment. He's knocking on, you know, the door of, of regular podiums at, at this point, and I think he could be uh, a real sort of surprise package uh, throughout much of, of 2021. Um, which uh, brings me to uh, possibly the other one too. Um, Sean Brightley was one of the, uh, the, not refugees, but one of the departees from Erebus, and that being Dave Reynolds, who got a podium. And uh, he obviously has uh, fallen in quickly with the new Kelly Grove racing team. Um, he's known the Groves as well for some years and had an involvement there. And uh, clearly the Mustang is to his liking. I mean, you know, that was fantastic what he did. And Heimgartner wasn't far away either. Yeah, that, that team has certainly found something between Bathurst and Sandown. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. There's, you know, talk of some, some upgrades to the front of that car, you know, particularly sort of around uprights because that's, you know, all you can really develop these days in supercars. So, They've definitely found a trick with that car. It's given them, you know, a little bit more to play with. The, the talk amongst the team is that it's just giving the drivers a little bit more feel. So the drivers sort of know, you know, just a little bit more about the car and where it sort of needs to go. And I think you know, by the end of that weekend, they were all, you know, absolutely buzzing that you know, they found something. So, uh, yeah, for, for Andre, he was unlucky to miss out on a podium. In, in fairness to him, uh, Chaz Mostert ran him wide in one of the races at the end there and that allowed Jamie to get through. Um, David obviously did a really good job to get that podium in the in the last race. So yeah, it's it's a fascinating time for supercars. You know, Erebus could be podium getters. You know, Kelly Racing, I'm sure, will get a podium in one of the next you know two or three, maybe four rounds. Um, yeah, Tickford are doing a, a fantastic job. I think it, it's a really interesting time for supercars at this at this point. And you know, whilst while Shaman Gisbergen is so dominant, it's actually quite exciting to see you know guys behind him or there thereabouts um who are probably not far away from from threatening him it just sort of feels like shane has got maybe uh, a jump start on them at this point in the season and, and of course when you mentioned about the uh, rally driving and the new zealand grand prix i mean uh, shane's now got you know including bathurst last year you know it's something like 10 wins in a row i mean it is an extraordinary thing across all types of different cars um, it doesn't matter what it is, just bring it on uh, in sort of Shane's book. Which <clears throat> leads me to seven drivers um, have been on the podium this year. And, of course, we include, you know, David and Brody, uh, Chaz, uh, Mostert, uh, Cam Waters, um, Jamie Wincup. Um, who do you think is missing? Who do you think the next one's going to jump up on the podium um, of the remaining pack of sort of uh, 17 or so drivers? Well... For a long time, during that Sandown weekend, we were sort of expecting Mark Winterbottom to be that guy. I think he was unlucky in, in the first race uh, not to get a podium. For, for a brief time, it actually looked like he might even be able to compete for a win. And I think, you know, had things maybe gone a little bit differently, uh, I think Mark might have even been able to win that race. Um, you know, 11th and 10th in, in the next two races weren't sort of really representative of uh, his performance but you know he's sitting pretty at the moment in fifth in the championship he's got a fourth and a fifth at the first round and he got another fourth at Sandown and you know he's 
I think he's got six six fourth place finishes with Team 18 now since he joined them. So I feel like Mark is probably the guy who will be next to sort of get on the podium. Um, Andre Heimgartner could be another one who who just jumps up there. You know, like I said before, he was threatening um, and looked really likely to get third place and won the races there at Sandown. Nick Perkett, it's sort of been there or thereabouts, but yeah, I would certainly put Mark and, and Andre uh, ahead of, of Perkett. I think they're the most most likely the guys who are yet to get a podium will probably be on the podium pretty soon. I first went to Sandown in about 1967, I think it would have been. That wasn't your first Sandown weekend, was it? Yeah, that was. Um, I've not really had a chance, no, obviously, because no. of COVID, to, to go to many circuits. So, yeah, last year, sort of, you know, my first year with Speed Cafe, uh, we spent a lot of the time um, just working out of, out of my apartment. So, yeah, first time going to... Sandown, it'll be my first time going to Tasmania this year. Same for, for Winton, Darwin, Townsville, City Motorsport Park, um, Perth and obviously Gold Coast. So, yeah, still a lot of circuits to, to tick off. Um, looking forward to getting home, hopefully at some point, um, to do the New Zealand round, whether or not that happens. Uh, who knows? Um, the, the talk of that, that trans-Tasman bubble just keeps sort of getting pushed further back and back with, with, the, with each little outbreak that we have. So. Um, who knows um, whether we get an Auckland round or not if they ditch that then I'm sure they'll probably put um, some Australian Grand Prix in um, but even then that round looks like it, it might be sort of you know, on a, on a bit of a, a tightrope at this point who knows You would have heard the, the news or read the news of uh, the potential uh, demise of Sandown it's been mooted for some years the uh, uh, horse racing uh, part of the uh, has, has obviously been operating as long as the track has, so maybe slightly longer. But it would be very sad um, from my point of view because it is a, a wonderful uh, track for spectators and I feel a, a wonderful track for many competitors. And while they mightn't put it at the top of their list, it's certainly in the top five of tracks to race in Australia for me. Yeah, a great circuit. I absolutely love watching supercars at Sandown. You know, the Sandown 500 for a long time for me growing up um, was, you know, that was second only to the Bathurst 1000. So, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. I, I guess it's something that we've kind of been expecting for a really long time now. It feels like it's inevitable and every year we get these reports about, you know, you're taking one step closer towards, obviously, uh, the place being bold. Um, you know, they're talking about bowling the place and, that'll give them the 300 million that they need to, to renovate one of their other race courses. But yeah, it, it's you know, my first experience at Sandown the other weekend. Uh, you can understand why they'd want to get rid of the place. It's, it's located right in the middle of suburbia. It's prime location for housing. Um, you know, there's a, there's an awful lot of land to play with. Uh, obviously there are some concerns around, you know, if you bowl the place, well, that's going to in- increase congestion around the area. But, you know, if, if you don't bowl the place, well, then you, you're running at a loss. And it's also, you know, a, a burden on, on the neighbourhood, even though, you know, the, the circuit was there before some of those houses were built. So, yeah, they're sort of in a, a bit of an interesting phase at this moment. Um, I think we're about two weeks away from uh, the Melbourne Racing Club presenting to um, the council to sort of, come up with the, the draft sort of plan around what they're going to do with the place. Um, but for the time being, I guess, we'll just continue racing there until um, they do eventually knock the place over. How long that's for, who knows? You know, there's sort of talk about 2023, 2025. Uh, but, 
you know, this has been something that's been in the pipeline for a really long time now, uh, and we haven't really gotten super close um, towards any definitive sort of decision. You know, we're only at the point of them giving it a, a, a rezoning designation. So, yeah, who knows? I guess for, for supercars and for supercars fans, you just try and keep racing it at the circuit while you've still got it. Okay, a couple of quick-fire questions. One is Super 2. Is the, the series too badly broken, you know, because the costs of it, competitors are just not getting as much track time as they should, you know, would a wild card be better? What do you think of Super 2? Good breeding ground for supercars. I think the platform works. Um, I think it's entertaining. I certainly enjoy watching it. It's, you know, it's basically supercars, um, you know, the cars are supercars, albeit you know on, on a bit of a budget. So yeah, I don't know. I think it, it fulfills a purpose, but you know, supercars as a whole is, is an expensive business, and that means that Super Two is an expensive business. So yeah, it is probably a little bit expensive. I sort of liked the idea that came out a while ago about them maybe introducing Gen Three car for Super Two, but that's sort of been um, knocked on the head. So that's a little bit unfortunate. But yeah, certainly maybe need to look at some ways to, to cut costs. You would be well aware, I think you've probably written about it, is this paddle shift question for Gen 3. What's your feeling that uh, the rest of the paddock has about uh, whether adopted or, or not adopted? Oh, I'm sort of neither here nor there um, at this point. I think in some ways there's a certain irony in that the setup that we've got now um, with the six-speed sequential gearbox, I don't really see that in road cars. So going to... Um, the paddle shift makes them more road relevant or you make them an H pattern because we still have some sports cars that are that are H patterns. They talk about, you know, road relevance. Well, you can still buy high performance cars like a Toyota Supra or, you know, something to that effect with an H an H pattern. They are a bit of a, a rare breed these days. Um, but still, you know, it's it has some relevance. Um yeah, I don't know. I think the the crux of the argument is around driver skill and taking that away. If you as it stands, the way that they're looking at, at putting paddle shift in, uh, it'll have an auto blip feature or at least capabilities for that. So you just hit the paddle, the engine will blip for you, and you no longer have to heel and toe. Uh, heel and toe, obviously, um, you know, is, is a skill that we like to see. We like to see the, the drivers dancing on the, on the pedals. Uh, you know, using the gear, the gearbox to turn the car is something that a lot of drivers talk about. You'll you'll get rid of that by getting. Um, you know, auto blips sort of installed into these cars. So, yeah, I personally would probably rather I sort of stick with what we've got just for the sort of the the show. Um, but I'm not a team owner and I'm not paying the bills. So, um, ultimately, it comes down to, I guess, their wishes and what's going to save them money because ultimately this is what it's about. It's about reducing the risk of having gearbox issues, gearbox failures, you know, the, the crash that Tim Slade had. At Bathurst, that was largely down to um, a gearbox issue. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we're not sort of at the point yet of them definitively saying this is what's going to happen, and there's certainly been uh, a lot of, um, I guess, pushback from the community and even some of the people within it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, like I say, I'm neither here nor there at this point. Did you get a chance to watch Bristol, the Dirt Track Bristol Raceway? Yeah, I, I did. I, I made a little bit of time on, what was it, Tuesday morning by the time they had all the rain delays and stuff to, to watch that. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, I, I thought it was quite interesting that about three quarters of the way through, they decided that, yep, this was good and we're going to stick with it uh, for 2022 and beyond. So, 
that's really fascinating. Where do you sort of start? Like it's it's unheard of um, for NASCAR to at least in the sort of the modern age to to run on dirt. I thought some of sort of the, the talk around tires and you know strengthening of the cars was quite interesting from a, a technical point of view. I thought the racing was interesting at times. Uh, you know them, them talking about you know the tire wear and things like that and, and having to really fight the car. The racing were, was pretty good. Um, Oh, I really wish, you know, that maybe we got a, a bit of a closer finish. You know, Stenhouse was, was getting pretty close towards the end there. Um, unfortunately, Ryan uh, Truex cut a tyre late in the piece, so that sort of really murdered his race. And, and Denny Hamlin decided to go around the outside on the last lap or two, and, and that really didn't work in his favour either. So I, I thought the ultimate irony in, in all of it was that we'd sort of had all this talk in the lead up about, you know, all these dirt specialists who are going to, you know, come in and they're going to absolutely destroy all the established heads. And then by the end of it, we ended up with about four or five really established guys like Ryan Newman, um, Joey Logano, uh, Hamlin and Truex all fighting for the win at the end of it all. And, and it was like, Oh, okay. It's just like a normal NASCAR race. So yeah, it was, it was kind of um, neat. Um, and in some ways a little bit disappointing that we didn't get sort of like a wild card winner that we kind of hoped. Daniel Suarez looked like he was going to threaten for a little bit, but, I think he just sort of faded late in the piece there. So I would give it maybe a solid 7 out of 10 first go. <laughs> Interesting. Ryan Newman was a uh, midget specialist when he first started racing up at South Bend, Indiana. So he certainly had cut his teeth a fair bit on the dirt before he got into the uh, stock cars. But I had an opportunity to speak with Richard Petty. Eric Jones is his driver in the Tide Ride 43 nowadays. But 20 years ago at Talladega, I spoke to the King about different surfaces, and he uh, particularly talked about dirt in this clip. As a driver, did you miss the variety when you used to race on a dirt track, a sand track, an asphalt track, a concrete track? Oh, that was just a lot of fun. I mean, I, I was just a, a racer at heart, loved to drive a race car. I didn't care if it was road course. I didn't care if it went around it backwards. I, you know, as long as they called it a racetrack, I didn't care what it looked like. Yeah. You just go out and try to win the race. I guess as a car owner, the idea of running on a dirt track, you just go, whoa, that's money. <laughs> that's money I'm going to be smoking. That would be real bad right now. These boys have never seen dirt track. Uh, that would be a real show. I'd like to be a spectator. I wouldn't want to own the race car, but I'd like to be a spectator and watch these guys run on dirt. So even the king wanted to see racing on dirt. He just didn't want to own the car because he thought a lot of stuff would get torn up. And uh, I think that was proved to be correct. But uh, if they used to pack Bristol all the time, I think if they can sell all the seats, Simon, they'll have Bristol packed out again. Yeah, one day, hopefully, um, once we get on top of uh, this whole COVID chaos, maybe one day we'll see Bristol packed. I think if, if not for COVID, uh, we, w- we probably would have seen the players absolutely chock-a-block um, with a, a quite an innovative and an interesting um, take on, on old-school uh, American stock car racing. A new topic, apropos of we know what day of the month it is, there was a release today and quite a build-up to it in terms of Neil Crompton's return. 19 years after he stepped out of driving in supercars, the voice of V8, as he's known as, has now it's been announced he's going to be driving a Walkinshaw Andretti United ZB Commodore with Michael Andretti. Uh, uh, did you see this coming? <laughs> well, it is April 1st, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to see some of the the, um, the media teams getting in the uh, in the mood for, for April Fools. And I guess after Neil cut a few laps uh, the other week at the ride day, uh, the supercars thought that 
make the most of that and inform a wee April Fool's joke out of that. So I think it caught a few people off guard. It was it was kind of one of those ones you look at it and you sort of went, no, there's no way. <laughs> and sure enough, um, yeah, just a, a wee April Fool's joke from, from the Supercars team. So, yeah, um, kind of nice to see uh, some of the teams getting into the swing of things with April Fool's considering, you know, all of last year it was all very uh, ho-hum with um, COVID, so not a lot of people were sort of getting into the into that mood. So, yeah, certainly people are, are bouncing back, even if there is sort of, you know, that, that residue of COVID sort of sort of lingering in the air. Well, Simon, thank you for joining us on Inside Supercast. It's been terrific to hear your points of view. I certainly look forward to catching up with you. It might be at uh, Winton or Thailand End, um, and certainly interested in your first views of uh, Simmons Plains. I know that... Uh, Craig too will, uh, he's been there on there a few occasions and he will also enjoy listening to your version of a New Zealand track on, the, on Australian soil. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's got as many turns as Pukekoe does, so it'll be feel, it'll feel just like home. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Simon Chapman from Speed Cafe for joining us on Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock, Craig Well. Cheers, boys. Thank you again. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.